This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So I'm welcome to Practical Spirituality <laughs> here in Asia Torah, the old city of Jerusalem, overlooking the Western Wall. <laughs> Just checking. I already forgot what I was talking about. Yeah, what do you, you have a question? Oh yeah, sorry, evolution. So, so yo, nice, nice timing. Well, you got a tailor in there? Break it up, bro. No, no, during, during. I, no, no, I mean, I'll, I'll strum a few licks. Because I, I have a custom that if anyone brings a guitar to my pl- class, I play a song. Okay, you got a pick in there? Is it in tune? So, yeah, break it out, bro. Because we haven't started the topic. Once I started the topic, there's no way I'm picking up your guitar. What do you mean after? I'm you. you don't want me to play your guitar? <laughs> but dude, I have a custom that if someone brings a guitar in the class, that then the class gets a song. You want me to come get it? You are from L.A., aren't you? you spoiled little brat. This, this L.A. boy with his tailor is like, come get it. Whoa, it's a mini. Yeah, it's a GS mini. Yeah, I don't play minis, bro. Oh, excuses. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I don't play minis. I'm just messing with you. Okay. Um, anyway, but the... the um, I don't think I want to talk more about evolution. And about your question about observant people not being interested in change, that's a major issue. Uh, I'd like to teach you all something uh, really important, and that is that the way you, the way you grow is by pushing yourself up against, um, up against mostly change, but but pushing yourself up against and into environments that that are that you're not quite. Well, you're not comfortable, that's for sure, but you're literally out of your depth, meaning, meaning when you get into situations where you just don't know what you're doing and, and you're, you're, I mean, you're likely going to make a fool out of yourself or do something wrong or, I don't mean wrong like right and wrong, I mean, meaning good and evil, I mean, just you're going to make mistakes and, and that's, that's where you need to be. You need to be pushing yourself into the world in a way that will that will force your development. And you know, I was thinking about it the other day because I was at a Hasidic uh, event with, uh, I don't know, maybe about a thousand Hasidim and, uh, whom I loved very much, all thousand of them. And, uh, but I was with them and a couple of things I noticed. One of the things I noticed was that was that if you were Wherever you were at in your life, it's kind of how you're there and you're known to be there by the Hasidis and all the, all the guys. You have to understand, Hasidim, do you guys mind consolidating and giving these ladies a table for two? Yeah, maybe go back there, go back one. Ladies, table for two right here. Um, what happens is... Um, Now, I mention this a lot, but so much of so much of who we are is is given to us by our environment. 
So if you're part of this close-knit community in the Hasidic world, they have, and we get so close in there that we, we, we like know each other better than our own smell. And so, so who you are in that kind of an environment is very much... The, the chance of you actually growing beyond it, you probably won't sink lower than it, but growing beyond where you're at is unlikely. Because it, it would just mess up the whole the infrastructure of the, um, the, the kind of the social hierarchy that's there. And so, and so what's likely going to happen is you're not going to grow much. And then I was thinking about the beauty of Torah is that, yeah, you may not grow much and you're probably always going to be, you know, the schlepper that you are in your community. But, but at least, at least... Your, your, oh gosh, how do you say hasagas in English? Uh, your, your breath of your breath of knowledge and, and awareness and of reality is being constantly taken up by the incredible focus of Torah study in the community. I mean, we you got to realize we are so out of balance right now in our in our being overly consumed with Torah study in the very observant community. It was never like that. Very observant Jews were very observant, but well-balanced. And today we're not well-balanced. We are way over the top about Torah study. But that shines its incredible light sometimes. One of the places that would shine its light is a person stuck in a community where he's not really growing, nor is he going to grow, but he's got the Torah taking him on this incredible journey with the study that he does. And it really does take you to where it takes you on amazing journeys. And you get to go on those journeys. Now, the fact is you yourself were in the safe capsule of the study hall. You never had to push yourself up against the world and develop yourself. So you won't probably really develop. But at least you have Torah to, like, to like f- let your mind fly into, into God's mind. Because I mean, Torah, I'm not going to go all Kabbalistic on you guys right now, but Torah is the mind of God, at least as much as he's letting us know about. I mean, think about it. When you meet somebody, whatever, however much you're willing to share is your mind you're sharing. You're, you're giving them a, a uh, you're showing them some of you, meaning some of your mind. And, and so God's also letting us see some of his mind. He does it the same with flowers, too, by the way, and rainbows and, and beautiful white horses and and uh, you know waterfalls and Swiss Alps, and he's showing us all kinds of little parts of him when he when he shows us this world. Now, of course, they're not him in his essence, because an infinite being has no juxtaposed manifestation. You know, you do, meaning you like you have colors that work for you. Period. There's something to do with your essence, and if you don't know your colors yet. Well, you'll probably never figure it out. So go speak to someone and spend 500 bucks. And it's one of those makeover ladies. And let her at least, don't pay her the two grand for the makeover. Just pay her 500 to find out your colors and, and like your bottom line stuff. Because you shouldn't ever shop for more than probably three to five colors. And, and the, uh, because we do have a connection between our essence and our, how we manifest. God does not. So, however, God, whatever God shows us, you know, in a way, it's kind of even sweeter, because He's showing us what 
he thinks we might like. You know? Meaning when you show someone some of you, you're showing some of you. So like, maybe they'll like that. That would be nice. Wouldn't that feel good if I showed some of me and someone liked that? It's risky to show some of you. God doesn't risk anything because nothing he makes could have anything to do with him. It can only be what he's choosing to show because we might like it. Which is very sweet. It's a very, uh, it's kind of disarming in a way uh, to know that God's gifting this not as any hint into himself, but but it's just a pure gift. Yeah. Cynical's great. I just need some, not cynical, but uh, you know, I know what you mean. Well, I was just saying, he's not showing himself, but he's showing us. He's showing us, yeah, yeah, yeah. Natural disasters are like, they're disastrous. And they, and they're, they're like, they push people really hard. And you can't help but notice the collectiveness of it. Like, when someone, when a family has an ill member, so that family's now getting rocked. And, and they're all going to grow in certain ways based on that and please God that person will get well and they'll have gotten the growth could be they're going to have to lose that person and then get the growth but you can't help but notice natural disasters smell of the whole community for sure an illness in a family it smells of a family that's going to be growing through something but when, when it's hit everybody it's like indiscriminately has hit everybody so it smells of that, that population there. And so for sure God's saying hello. For sure. Now, you could say, and this will be interesting, you could say, well, no. You know, the natives of that place knew, meaning the Indians or whomever, they knew you don't build in that region because it's on a fault line. Like, they've got 5,000 years of tradition to know you don't put a giant metropolis in a place with no water, like Los Angeles. Like, it just it doesn't have water. It's irresponsible. It will dry up Northern California lakes and destroy whole ecosystems just to keep these people drinking. And so it's inappropriate. Not to mention it's on a fault line. So the natives would just say, you people are nuts. Like, life doesn't occur in 20-year spans. Life occurs over millennia. And you have to know the region. And you got to ask us before you do your urban planning of if it's a good idea to be put in a place, put in uh, a city there. Okay, and then the earthquake hits. You know, and then it, and it smells of the community. Because it does. But, but let, I'm taking that back now. Let's forget the fact that the earthquake smells of the community. Um, it is interesting, by the way, the last major, I don't want to smile when I say the last major earthquake in Los Angeles had its epicenter in the um, in a place called oh gosh they have water slides there uh, let's go to the water slides there when I was a kid um, I forget the name of the place but it was the it was the pre pre and into the internet era um, headquarters of of manufacturing pornographic con- content. 
And Taurus says very specifically that earthquakes have to do with, with uh, inappropriate interactions. To put it, put it, to leave out the S word. So, so the uh, anyway the but it was there. The name will come back to me in a second. And um, I actually know a couple who came to Torah from there. They're from that community. And they, they came to Torah from there. And what does it mean to come to Torah? Well, during the beginning, it means you don't live at home on Shabbat. You have to actually go be guests, which is humiliating, to do week after week after week after week after week. It's cute at the beginning, but then it gets old quickly. And uh, so that thing hit on Shabbos, pretty sure. And they happen to have a glass ceiling over their bed. And, uh, and it was no longer on the ceiling when they got home. You know, it was, you know, that would have been their death. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, so let's just say that it doesn't smell of the community, but rather... The community lives there. The fault faults, and you know, and it's massive, and it's regional, and hitting lots of people, like uh, like things. Uh, recently, I think Turkey had something happen. What happened in Turkey just now? No, no, they had a natural disaster. I forget what it was. It might have been an earthquake. Anyway, um, they get a lot of earthquakes in Turkey, so the. Um, but here's the crazy part. Who are the people living there? Like, where'd they come from? Who are the people there? And so the answer is, is that they're the people who had to be there when that happened. They, they had to be there. I mean, nothing happens randomly. This is one of the keys of, in the, the five steps of forgiveness. One of them is that God doesn't make mistakes. So, like, the fact that you wound up in harm's way of someone who's not so good, you know, is not, wasn't random. Like, God didn't make a mistake that you wound up in harm's way of some, like, shyster who messed up your finances by sucking you into some kind of bad deal or something. Like, like how do you wind up with your number? Like, that guy's... That guy's that guy's name was like inscribed into your life by a higher being. And, and by the way, and that doesn't make you helpless at all. Become someone who shysters look away from. Become that person. That someone who's a bad dude just wouldn't mess with. Become the kind of person that a, that a car thief would suddenly get a cell phone call right when they got to your car and have to run somewhere else because of the nature of the phone call. Become that person. And if you're still suffering, even though you've become that perfect person, so then now you have another clarity, is that whatever you suffered was obviously cosmic debt because your soul has, your soul's been around for millennia. You've been God hasn't created any new souls in the last some how long has it been now? Three thousand years? And so you're just keep come cycling through here. 
and there's certain things you got to go through that things that you, you can't even figure out what you even learned from it but you had to go through it and and uh, it wasn't over anything you did in this life but it's something you obviously had to deal with from a previous life and so there's, there's never a time where where you can where you need to like spend your life sulking over your fate as I said, either it's something you could clean up so that you're no longer vibrationally open to those kinds of interactions, clean yourself out. And the other is to know that if it's still coming down the pipe, that, that it was meant for you because it's, cause we have no idea of the greater mathematical equations of lifetimes. It's lifetimes. I mean, think of the impact of your life. Like You have such an impact here. Such a massive impact here. Just you, you're like even if you do your best, you're still gonna. Certain people are gonna get hurt because you were here. You know, you're gonna be like you're all gonna have children. I bless you too. And and what's gonna mess your children up the most is you. And what's gonna make them amazing is gonna be you too. They're both gonna be you. And it's all part of this like incredible tapestry, this weave of, of life. That's and it again puts you in the driver's seat because figure out what parts of you would mess up kids and, and work on work on that stuff and develop yourself so you're so there will be a lot more good coming in the world because you were their parent than harm. And just one little hint about parenting is, is uh, I forget who said this. One of the great philosophers said this. I think it might have been Carl Jung, I don't know. But he, I think it was that the best, all, the best mothers fail. The best mothers fail. So you can make an inference that the worst mothers succeed. So maybe we'll go from that side. The worst mothers succeed at continually protecting their child well after, well after it's no longer appropriate. Did you hear that? The worst mothers succeed at mothering well after it's appropriate to be mothering on that micromanagement protection level. Because the job of a mother is to protect her, her young. Right? You don't want to get between a, a mother bear and its cubs. Your job, you, you instinctually will protect your children, even at the risk of your own life. There are many stories where, where a woman will instinctually, not, she didn't even have time to think, but somehow manage to, you know, she didn't make it, but the kids made it. Like she'll, she'll instinctually protect her young. And so, but the problem is, is that same instinct can, be a, can spell disaster for an adult. So the mother has to, has to unmother almost on a almost like you could chart it monthly from the birth of the child where the protection's the highest obviously because it's an infant but unmothering has to happen literally it should be a monthly chart of it going down for the life of that child to the point where it's where you've really become a colleague with your child children kind of like my wife is with with our, our daughters, you know, she's, she's, uh, 
And by the way, we were no masters at this. I, mean, I remember my daughter was going, uh, the next day, she was getting married the following night. And um, the following day she was getting married. And so she just wanted to go put, she had just bought something else for the apartment. So she wanted to go put it in so it would be ready for that, the night of their wedding. And, and I said to her, I said, so, uh, so who's going to walk you over there? <laughs> and she looks at me like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, who's going to walk you over to the apartment? Which was all of eight minutes from our door. And, and she was like, I was going to walk there by myself. So, but then you'd be in there by yourself. And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, I'll go with you. <laughs> she's like, she's like, Tati, you're busy. You know, like you don't need to walk me over there right now. And I'm like, she says, are you having trouble letting go here? You know, because because about thirty six hours from now, I'm going to be there alone because I'll be a married woman in her apartment. You know what I answered her? We'll wait till then. Let's go. And I walked her over. So I'm not saying I'm that great at all this, but but uh, but I'm pretty good. And I'm a little extra crazy about girls, you know, like I, I, I'm a little more protective of them than, than I would be my boys. And my boys, I just like, go see what happens. <laughs> my girls, I'm a little more protective of So, um, you had a question back there? About evolution? Oh, yeah. Did we finish talking about evolution? I just want to mention that, that I don't... Um, I don't... Um, I, I, oh, about the, um, the people who wound up in the region where the, where the natural disaster was. I was just saying that, that... I just want to close that. Is that... That's not random at all. At all, I don't. I mean, I was saying that it's actually smelling of the community. That was the first. That's kind of intense to say. I was just saying that that it it's not random at all. This is this is God having the address of all these different people who had to be alive right then, in that generation, children of those people in those situations, and and they're all collectively going to go through something. And there's no coincidence. And there's no. This is not random. It's not random. It's going to be... In fact, you could ask all those people 30 years later about how it literally changed which way was north in their lives from that moment. All of them. All, and that's why you can ask people what they were wearing in 9-11 or something. Like, you know, it's just one of those shifters of, of, of reality. And those shifters generally happen on the individual level, but sometimes those shifters have to hit a whole population. I believe that our whole globe's going to go through one. I believe our whole globe's going to go through a shift. And I, from what I can gather, it's not going to be easy. But it will shift all reality. I don't know what it's going to look like. But we know God does this for large populations. And that we know for a fact. So, so he, I think he's going to do it for the whole globe.
I'm, I, could all, I could guarantee that, that the greatness of the people in this room, and I believe you're all great. And Oh, and I, I was going to say something to you all today. It's funny, I just thought of that. Is that for, that for, for 24 hours, anyone who compliments you, I apologize if no one compliments you, but if anyone compliments you in the next, let's say until Shabbos, that way at least someone will have complimented you, <laughs> including Shabbos, like till Saturday night. Yeah, Anyone who says anything to you that's nice, you have to answer that's the way God made me. Okay? You ready? Let's try that together. We'll practice it. Ready? One, two, three. That's the way God made me. Okay? Let's try that again. Because it's amazing. Because you're totally owning how great you are, but you're not the source of why you're great. It's totally arrogant, yet totally humble. You understand? And if it's totally arrogant and it's totally humble, it's humble. Because it's not arrogant if he's the source of what made you so awesome. Okay, so let's try that together. We'll do it three times just to get it locked in. Okay, by the way, I, I was going to say that's the way he made me, but I was trying not to take out the gender from it. Okay, so just because not everyone's been through all my gender classes and understand why we call God he, you know, which of course, once you find out why, it's just like you can't, you just, you just, you go home from that class just going, he, you just laugh your whole way home. So. Anyway, but it's, uh, that's the way God made me. Let's go. Ready? One, two, three. That's the way God made me. Once again, that's the way God made me. Okay, you ready? So I'll give the compliment and you all answer. You ready? You guys are just so amazing. <laughs> so you have to do that till Saturday night. Let's see how it works. Because raise your hands. Everyone raise your hand. You gotta, it's good if you move your arms once in a while. Most of you are just sitting there like lumps on a log. So raise your hand if, if you can get a compliment. Any kind of compliment. But you could get a compliment and you would just, in your heart, totally deny it. Raise your hand if you would deny a compliment in your heart. Come on, be honest. Be honest. Guys, so many of you are lying. Okay, it was three quarters of you, but, but you deny it. You got to say that's the way God made me. And just to give it to you in like a principle, because Gentiles have a different take on humility than Judaism. Judaism's take is is you're amazing, and God made you that way. Whereas Gentiles, the Gentile definition of humility is you're. I guess you're like you're you're nothing. You know. You know, like kind of like. Total self-nullification. You're just nothing. By the way, Judaism goes with the, the nothing business, too. We like the nothing business. because, But it's so much more complex. Because, because you being nothing... I don't know if the word nothing, maybe... Is, you're, it's, it's more maybe you're no one... Let's go with you're no one, like you're, you're like a, you're nobody. <laughs> How's that feel? <laughs> you're nobody. <laughs> Does that sound good if I tell you you're nobody? How's that feel? So, doesn't sound so nice, right? But you want to hear how amazing it is to be nobody. I, next thing I have you doing is repeating we're nobody. So, being nobody is amazing because. Well, think of the two options. Either you're someone, so now you got to like, first of all, who says? And so since, you know, who, 
who is this someone you think you are? Because, like, as if you so know who you are. I mean, you're, most of you at your age, your parents probably still know you better than you know yourself. So, like, miss someone, you know, like, who says you have any idea who you are? You know, you probably have no idea who you are. And, and so, so knowing, being somebody automatically stinks because now you have to walk through the world you know, and that means going into every event and whatever's happening in your life, you have to walk through the world totally vigilant that no one should poke a hole in this little thin, blown-up membrane of who you think you are. Like, that itself can turn just going to a wedding as a stressful event. And, like, people are spending tens of thousands of dollars for you to go enjoy yourself. And here you are, like, stressed out about, you know, how well you're going to somehow preserve who you are for the people at the wedding. What a waste of money from the hosts. So you realize that, and, and I'll even take it stronger, being somebody is turning you into a nobody. Because you see how thin it is. So, like, I mean, in the negative version of nobody. Remember the negative version, like, being a nobody? Like, that kind of nobody, the slang? Like, I don't want to be a nobody. I want to be a somebody. Yeah? So that nobody. What bigger nobody is someone who thinks they're somebody and then has to spend their whole life vigilant that no one should, like... you got to, like, almost, like, walk carefully between people in case someone's wearing, like, something... A pokey garment that might poke a hole in your... In your insane version of self that you've created that has nothing to do with you. I mean, literally nothing to do with you. And not to mention wasting your parents' money on, on the image, you know, that no one asked for that, you know. It, it's not, it's, it's, you know, you, again, go to the person and spend the 500 bucks to find out what you should be wearing so you're not some sucker victim for everything in a window. You know, like there's stuff that's just going to look good on you. And it's probably cheaper than what you've been buying. And it, it works for you. So, so the, um, so the Judaism definition of nobody is to be a to just be the spirit. Just be the spirit of you know, there's just being this spirit in a material world. I mean, think about it. When you're walking through the old city today, I imagine there's no way you got here without doing that. So when you're walking through our little alleys everywhere, mm-hmm. through the old city, I mean, what was really going on? What was really going on was, was you have this body that was probably well-clothed because it's absolutely freezing. So you had clothing and a body. But this body of yours was transporting your conscious self, your spirit, like the spirit of you, was being transported through the streets of the old city. So, well, what is the spirit of you? And the answer is, I don't know, because it's not for me. I didn't make it. It, it, My parents didn't make it. You know, they might have had something to do with the flesh, but certainly nothing to do with the spirit of it, because how do you create that? 
can a human being create the consciousness of a human being? No person can create consciousness. You see, primates don't have consciousness. They have the instincts that they should preserve themselves, which is, you know, even plants have that. You know, they're not that much more advanced than plants on that in that particular aspect. But but we're coming from a totally different place and it's clearly spiritual. You know, it's for sure spiritual. It's mysterious like nobody's business. I mean, your actual essence is so mysterious. And the weird thing is and maybe this is why we don't want to look at each other's eyes too long. You know, say you look at someone's eyes and then you got to look away. Perhaps that is because deep down you're looking at yourself, because the same consciousness you're walking around with, they got it too. And again, I'm not talking about content. You have different content. You woke up in a different place. You got a different family, a different sibling order. Like the content's different, but the consciousness is the same. And maybe we're so strongly trying to stay individuated that we're afraid to look into someone's eyes a little too long and realize that we are each other. We're all one consciousness. How could there be more than one consciousness? We just got through saying that that consciousness could only have come from a being that can create consciousness, which no being in the entire history of the world ever was able to produce. No one was ever able to produce a consciousness. It's never happened before that someone produced consciousness. They're trying hard, though, now with, with artificial intelligence. They're working on it. But we all know, and no one's, like, nervous that... You know, we all know that artificial intelligence will, at best, approach, you know, choices that people can have based on algorithms of predictability and human choice, you know, which means we're going to need the social studies department to help us track that, but... But it's not, it will never be human consciousness. So perhaps it is that same, that same need to be somebody as autonomous from other somebodies, such that we've even created this paper mache self that's not even worth nothing, you know, because it's, you see it's not worth anything because, because so many people, the average person you meet, and when I say the average, I really mean nine out of ten people you meet look in the mirror and say things in their mind that they would never, ever want anyone to hear. And that's even people who are pretty impressive. Pretty impressive people can, on the internal voice, can be extremely self-effacing. And so maybe that's why we don't want to look into someone's eyes is, it takes away the little of us that this takes away the little little the little little us that meaning it's we've been making ourselves quite small, and so we want to hold on to like we want to puff up the small. You know, it's almost leading into Pesach here, you know, you know, because because you know Pesach's really the truth. You know, that's the truth. You know, it's just flour and water, no other ingredient. Body and soul, flower and water. You know, just paper thin. You know, you can have a 
matzah this big right in front of your face and yet be able to see everybody if you just hold it at the right angle. And so the definition of humility in Judaism is to be the high-level nobody, the nobody that's the pure consciousness that God puts inside of you, that we all share. That's the one. That's the, if you want to work on humility, start realizing how awesome you are. You are a nuclear power plant of greatness. And I'd like to give you a new definition of responsibility. We'll end with this. A lot of you have been thinking responsibility means like brushing your teeth and maybe using soap and shampoo and perhaps deodorant. Um, maybe you're thinking responsibility would be like paying your bills or or I don't know, maybe making home with somebody and raising children would be responsible especially if you're responsible with them. But there's a whole other level of responsibility, which I believe is the ultimate level of responsibility, and that is responsible. I think the ultimate definition of responsibility is being responsible for how amazing you are. Can you imagine if you took full responsibility for how amazing you are? To the point where, like, every day, you could look in the mirror at the end of the day and say, hmm... Did, was there any part of my day where I wasn't living that hour for how awesome I am or how amazing I am or the gift I give or what I contribute to this world? Like, was there an hour where I wasn't living that way? So I'd like us all to take that on as our new definition of responsibility. Meaning, forget your bills. Stop brushing your teeth. Like, who cares about soap? How about taking responsibility for how awesome you are? Like, you're taking small responsibilities right now. Take on some big responsibility. Shalom, everybody. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.